Heavenly Father, um, pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as I share the word. I pray that folks would uh, worship you with their minds, that you would fill folks up and help them to know you more through through the, the message today, Lord. I pray, uh, um, pray that you would clear away the thorns that get in the way of, of the word taking root, um, that you would uh, dig in and, and find uh, just the, the hard places and the fallen places inside us and I pray that your word would penetrate and and um, break and, and create new life um, through fixing by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I uh, this is one of those oddball weeks when uh, writing the message, I uh, I I had as much conviction about everything I uh, researched and and uh, prepared as I as I uh, could have, and so. Um, as I approach the message this week, I, I got to warn you all, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going to come out, um, but I'll tell you that I, I'm preaching to me today as much as anything else, so if I'm stepping on your toes, it's accidental, it's a little like me dancing with my wife where I'm just clumsy. Um, um, I, uh, I watched a commercial, oh, it was a few weeks ago I saw a commercial uh, where it was like for a travel agency. And they were talking about how um, the statistics for the number of unused vacation days in the United States, right? And, and statistically, I mean, American workers, like, just don't take vacation as much as they can. Like, and I, I actually read it. I thought, that can't possibly be true. There's no way people don't go on vacation if they can. And when I began looking into it, I thought, well, I, I looked it up. I thought, well, that can't be true. And I looked it up, and what I discovered was that amongst millennials, oddly enough, um, and Gen Xers, like there's this attitude of um, it is a good thing to be a martyr for work. Like you should carry the weight and work harder than anyone else and do all of this stuff um, and be miserable. But if you're miserable for the, uh, the purpose of, of work, um, that, that's a good thing. And that's like, like there's spiritual virtue to that. I just set my phone for, I wasn't texting. I <laughs> Um, but even then, actually, that sort of is well-timed. If you think about it, um, sort of the demands on us. How many of you all have a phone that dings at you all the time, and it seems like you can't sit quiet for five minutes without it? Is it just me, really? <laughs> well, you all live in the country. Your phones don't work out there. <laughs> I, oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Um, but but there's this crazy reality about our culture. We have traded spiritual depth for busyness. Isn't it true? We have stepped away from um, substance of being in favor of um, doing constantly, and it empties us out. Um, I read that I was reading an article on uh, um, millennials and why they don't read, like school-age children, and one of the main reasons they don't read is because there's too much going on, and so they don't read. Like the phone, Twitter, Snapchat, I don't even know what that is. Um, all the other stuff is so pressing that they just don't because they're too busy. Um, can anybody relate to this, by the way? Yeah. I, <laughs> all right. So out of the gate, I'll say, I'll confess, Rebecca, um, I had picked this topic before, but Rebecca on Monday, without knowing it, um, sort of set the ball rolling. So if you get angry, get angry at her. 
and I'm sure Ross will actually protect her in the parking lot instead of shooting at her. Uh, <laughs> whereas I've spent that credibility. Um, I, where are my slides at? I'm sorry, I, my program's all screwed up. Um, Rebecca said to me that like they cheated on our church last week and attended a different church. Um, and I was giving her grief about it, and she said, you know, it's interesting, the pastor preached on busyness and like how we sort of substitute busyness for holiness, and busyness becomes holiness, and it becomes this thing. And it's, I, I will confess that is me, right? Like work begins to dominate, and I feel guilty when I don't work. Does that make sense? I, somebody calls me and says I need to talk, and I start figuring out what I can like kill from my personal life in order to go and do that. Um, and it's because, because if I don't, then it's like, well, what, who's going to do it? Right. Who's going to, who's going to fix this? Who's going to, and ultimately like that, that's, there's this buying in that we do where we become Jesus and we get to save the world or we get to earn our salvation or we get to, you know, and all that other stuff. And it, it's, it's just not true. It's this lie that our cultural, the culture has told us. It's this, this crazy thing that we buy into that says, well, Work more, it'll make your life happy. And in reality, it just makes you tired and empty. Um, we're kind of working through a series right now on the gospel according to Jesus. Um, and it's not that the gospel is different as Jesus presents it. Um, it's the same gospel, like Jesus dies for our sins, right? Um, you are saved by faith in Christ, period. You cannot earn it. Nothing you do contributes to it. In fact, the only thing you bring to your salvation is the need for it. Got it? Like, and so if you were sitting here thinking, well, if I'm sitting here to check my box because I've got to go to church enough times to outdo the bad stuff I do, you're wrong. Okay, you're not going to show up at the gates of heaven with St. Peter there, and he's going to say, oh, slept in Sunday, you know, September, I don't know, what is it, the 20th? <laughs> he might say you didn't cook for the brisket cook-off, but <laughs> come on. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> it, 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 you're not going to earn it. The, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. He took punishment for the bad things that we do. And if we repent and follow him, um, we can be new creations. We can have a relationship with God. We can escape the penalty for our sins. That is the gospel. But we have very much in our culture like dissociated following Jesus from actually following Jesus. Got it? We've turned it into stay a prayer and you're saved, not... Um, have faith in Christ, be transformed by that faith in Christ, like like and the salvation we receive through that faith. Like there is a next step, and Jesus was not nice about it. Even like he talked about it a lot um, over the few weeks we've talked about return to him. We need to repent, follow him. We need to know his teachings, and we need to actually apply them. Uh, serve him. We need to serve Christ. We need to serve the folks around us because this is central to the way that Jesus lived. And imitating him means like being a servant. Um, this week we're going to talk about resting in him. And actually, uh, we're going to offer a little context. Um, this, we're going to be in Luke. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I don't need to open that one. Sorry. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you can look um, in there. And, and actually, the preceding passage here, so Luke 10, right? And behold, a lawyer stood up and, and excuse me, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all the heart, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, sorry, I, 
I paraphrase that. Um, and love your neighbor as yourself. I also paraphrase that. <laughs> and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, the lawyer goes on and he asks the question. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? And Luke is a very clever writer. He sort of bookends like a really cool um, point here. And he does it using this, this um, answer. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody with me? All right. So he asks, well, who's my neighbor? There were like seven major theological questions in the ancient world that the Jewish rabbis argued about at length. And like if you ever really want to go to sleep, sit down and read the Talmud, like the Jewish rabbis arguing, because they would parse everything down to the slightest, narrowest definition to like figure out what God wanted. And who is your neighbor is one of those questions. And Jesus steps out and offers an answer beyond what anybody else in the world did. Like Jesus was so out in left field, no other rabbi agreed with him. Um, Because like they would limit it. Well, your Jewish brothers are your neighbors. Maybe Romans are your neighbors. Samaritans are never your neighbors because the Jewish people hated, 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 hated Samaritans. I mean, like they were... I, a Jewish man would walk across the street and spit on the ground if he passed a Samaritan in the road. If you cut through Samaria, you would shake the dust off your feet so you didn't make Israel dirty on the way through with Samaritan dust. Samaritan women were considered to be unclean from birth because they were like immediately um, in their time of the month, and that just lasted forever. So you couldn't even touch a Samaritan woman because they were dirty. Like... The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. Um, So this lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers, he tells a parable. And we all know the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? A certain man, and that's important because it starts with a certain man was traveling, and he gets robbed and beaten and left on the road for dead. And he is passed by a priest. And the priest goes all the way to the other side of the road, which, by the way, it was a mountain road. It would have been about four feet wide. So (laughs) he made it a point to go all the way around him. And the answer as to why is in the story. He's going from Jerusalem to another city to, like, perform rituals. And so if he touches this man and he's dead, it makes him unclean. He wouldn't be able to do his rituals. He'd have to go back to the temple and send someone else. So he doesn't help the guy because he's like, really want to help you? Got to serve God. Can't. You just lay there. Don't mind me. He goes around. The Levite, a Levite would be somebody whose job it was to, like, know the law and to, like, perform rituals in communities, does the same thing. Walks to the other side, like, steps over him. Hey, don't mind me. You know, you lay there and bleed. I'm not going to, you know, I just need to be ceremonially clean to serve God. And then a Samaritan comes along. And the Jewish people would hear the Samaritan. By the way, there was a joke there. The joke is, like, like the expectation in the ancient culture, the Trinity would be um, priest, Levite, Pharisee. So everybody's expecting the Pharisees, and you can almost see them in this crowd, and the Pharisees are kind of like, here it comes. And he says, a Samaritan. And he's just basically insulted half the crowd. Um, and he goes on, he says, a Samaritan picks him up, takes him to an inn, tends his wounds, pays for him to be taken care of, says, I'll pay any additional debt on my way back through. And he says to the teacher of the law, who's the neighbor in this story? Close. Um, the Samaritan is, right? But the lawyer can't even say the Samaritan. He won't even say it. Like, it's like bile in his mouth. You ever get a bad taste in your mouth? Abby did that to me last night where she, I made dinner, 
and she took a bite, and then she left the table, got a drink, like a Kool-Aid drink, drank the whole thing, and said, man, I'm glad I got the taste of that out of my mouth. <laughs> that is where this, this, this teacher of the law is, because he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. I know, well, it says something about my cooking. <laughs> I know, you, you enter and see how it goes. Um, <laughs> um, but he won't even say the Samaritan was the neighbor. He won't say it because he is so hateful of the Samaritans. It's like a nasty, it's like, it's like my cooking in his mouth. Um, and I still have beaten Brooke like four years of the five that we've done it, three of the four years. Um, <laughs> um, although I have the apron now. Uh, he won't even say it because it's offensive to him to say the Samaritan says, oh, the man who helped him. Um, and the point being, like, this guy doesn't understand understand this basic question. Love your neighbor, love God. And Jesus demonstrates that the Samaritan's the neighbor, and he won't even say Samaritan. Like, he doesn't get it. Now, traveling, hospitality, loving. Big themes in this story. Can we all agree to that? Um, so we move on. The very next thing after this lawyer wouldn't answer is, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. So they are traveling. The theme continues, right? They're connected. Um, they enter, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So traveling followed by hospitality. These stories are connected. Do you understand? The gospel writers were super intentional about what they included. They were super intentional because they wanted the stories to fit together to make the larger points about Jesus. And so, like, as he's doing this, he's including the story where he is for a reason. And that reason is hospitality and this Ten Commandments summary. Love God, love your neighbor. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Now... Martha, like the expectation, the cultural expectation would be you have a guest in your home and you wait on them. You feed them. You give them the best you have. That you, I mean, like, and this is a huge deal in the ancient world. Um, one of the things we don't talk about very often, like Sodom and Gomorrah, we all know they were destroyed because of, like, sexual perversion and all this other stuff. But you get into the prophets, and when they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, they don't talk about the sexual perversion. They talk about they didn't welcome strangers. They were inhospitable. They didn't care for, I mean, everybody sort of knew the one, but there's an important second half of this. In the ancient world, if you didn't take care of a stranger passing through, they could die, right? Because like they're traveling through the desert, they could die. And so it is a big deal to take care of strangers and guests and everything else. It is not a small deal. So when she shows up, Martha, or Jesus shows up with his people, like Martha is waiting on him and Martha is serving him. Mary, on the other hand, is being presumptuous. And actually, if you read the way that the Greek is, there's a lot of argument about it. The assumption is Mary finished part of the work and then sat down and listened to Jesus teach. Now, sitting at his feet, whenever I imagine this, I imagine him sitting in a chair, right? They didn't sit in chairs in this part of the world. They had tables, so they're being fed. And this is at a meal. Jesus would be reclining at the table, and his feet were sitting outward. And so he's facing the people at the table. She's not even sitting at the table. She's sitting at his feet, so behind him and listening to him. Now, the phrase sitting at his feet in the ancient world is associated with a student listening to a rabbi. Got it? Women were never disciples. 
Like you could allow it, and there are very unusual instances, but it was not considered acceptable for a woman to be a disciple. But she is sitting at his feet listening to him teach, so she's taking the position of the disciple listening to the teaching. Um, A Jewish reader would come across this and be like, so wait a minute, she stopped serving, and she sat and listened, right? So she is crossing two boundaries at the same time, and for a lot of ancient folks, this would be like kind of offensive. Like she is sitting and listening to Jesus teach. She's doing something that isn't her job. She's doing something that is considered unacceptable or sort of offensive. Um, by the way, like the idea is that she's listening to the words of Jesus, and he mentions it a little later, like Luke mentions, you know, the word. Um, word in Luke and Acts, which are the two books Luke wrote, right? Word is used 40 times, the particular iteration of it. And in like every instance of that 40 times, it's referred to like this idea that hearing the word for salvation, like or hearing the word and being saved, right? Like hearing the word is associated in Luke with hearing the gospel and becoming new, like taking on a discipleship position. And so she's listening. She's kind of breaking the rules, but she's doing so in a way that is... Um, that's associated with her being saved, that's associated with her following Jesus. Um, go on. But Mary was distracted with much serving. So enters Eric into the story, right? I'm going to tell you, like, I'm not, my name isn't Martha, I'm not a woman. Um, but in reality, as I read this, I realize this is how I live. My schedule has to be full. If it's not full, I need noise in the house, right? I would read more, but I've got too much to do. Play with my kids more, but I have too much to do. I would sleep in, but too much to do, and my wife should be laughing right now as though I don't sleep in. Uh, (laughs) I sit up too late reading and obsessing about the news and, you know, writing emails and doing all this other stuff and working. I, I have not taken a day off where I did not work on a sermon in ages, right? Except for, yeah, two weeks ago, last weekend, my wife said, all right, we're leaving and going away and you're not allowed to work for two days. And I didn't work for a whole day. A whole day. (laughs) I worked on the second day. Um, but Martha is distracted. She is worried. She has so much going on in order to meet the obligation that she has that, like, like you know, she's stressed about it. And, and I'm sure some of y'all have been in that spot. Next week we're going to do the cook-off. And I know this is like our fifth one, and I know some people have helped five times and sort of dreaded a little bit because you're like, I'm going to have to help with food, and I'm going to have to help doing this, and I'm going to have to do that, and I'm going to have to... You know, and there's this stress associated with it. It becomes the primary focus of service sometimes, doesn't it? Is it anybody else? Like, this is where she's at. She is doing the right thing, right? Because love your neighbor, like we saw this in the previous one, the previous guys wouldn't love their neighbor because of the propriety, the cult, like the ritual propriety. In this case, she is loving her neighbor, but she's so focused on the work that she loses sight of stuff. And it actually tells us this, right? And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
tell her then to help me. Um, so she goes to Jesus and tries to recruit him. She calls him Lord, by the way, acknowledging that he holds a special up there position, right? Says, hey, I got work to do. Tell the sister of mine to stop being lazy and to work. Tell her to get up and go. And by the way, like, this is an easy thing to do, to look at the folks around us and say, I'm busy and this is holy and you should be busy and holy with me. We do, right? Um, or is it just me? Tell her then to help me. Now, Jesus is a funny one because Jesus, being Lord, sort of refuses to let other people boss him around, right? It's a little like being at work and telling your, your, your supervisor, you need to do this for me now. And he'd probably laugh at you and say, no, I actually run this place. You don't get to tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. And she tries to pull Jesus in to deal with her worry, to alleviate her stress, to, to sort of force her sister into this position. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now, there's a funny thing here. The way that one thing is necessary, it's not universally agreed on, um, but the way it's phrased in Greek implies that it could almost be read, one dish is necessary for the meal, right? So, like, she's trying to serve all this food, and he's saying, listen, you're missing the most important part of the meal, lady, the one dish that's important. And actually, this is, I mean, go through Jesus. He liked to talk about food, which is one of the reasons I love him so much, right? <laughs> For man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? She's so worried about this that she loses sight of that. Um, she's so focused on this physical existence, this world, the rent, the food, getting the kids to soccer practice, um, getting the extra crops in, uh, chasing after like, like, you know, everything that needs to get done, all of the work that she's lost sight of the most important part of the meal. I, have you all ever felt like you were working just to work? <laughs> I... I, all I do is work, and it's not even like actually my living accommodates my work. I'm talking to a room full of farmers, and I know that this is like there, isn't it? You know, I, I get up, I go to work, I come home, I go to bed, and I sleep so that I can be awake again to finish the work I have to do. Anybody feel that way? Right now especially? The rain happens and you're sort of mad at God, which is weird because it rains sometimes and you're mad. It doesn't rain other times and you're mad. It was a sure sign. That, well, anyway, I love you all. I love this place. <laughs> Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So he says, listen, Mary's chosen the right part of the meal. She's recognized that the main course and the dessert and the good stuff in life is, is resting in Christ. It's sitting at his feet and listening, not taking an authoritative position, not glorying in our own work, not putting ourselves up there and saying, I am a martyr for God because I'm working. I will torture myself to death in the name of Jesus. It's resting in Christ and being in relationship with him. Now, a quick disclaimer, there have been attempts in the past to separate this out to say, work is unnecessary and we should live our whole lives contemplating on Jesus, Right? But there's a balance in the stories, because in the previous story, guys were walking past the dying man and saying, nope, got to serve God. It's a balance. 
And ultimately, it's a balance where the root gives birth to the fruit, right? Which actually, Jesus was kind enough. This is also in Luke, but I'm using the Matthew version because it's the version I found when in the moment I realized, holy mess, I should talk about this. Um, Jesus tells a parable about a about a farmer, right? So this farmer goes out and spreads seeds everywhere, and some land on the path, and the birds come and eat them, and some land in the rocks and start growing quickly, but the sun kills them. Some land in the like the thorns or the would it be cheat grass here? Is it cheat or sheet? <laughs> and they get choked out. Some of it lands amongst the wild oats, and you can't sow wild oats, or you don't want to. Come on, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> Um, oh, come on. <laughs> this is rough. Um, so Jesus tells this parable, and his disciples say, hey, what's going on there? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Uh, this is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown amongst thorns, now listen carefully. As for what is sown amongst thorns, this is the one that hears the word. But, care, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another case sixty, and in another case thirty. Um, watch this. How many of y'all have driven a sprayer in the last month? <laughs> um, we all know what it does, right? It kills the weeds. How many of y'all really need, like, a spiritual sprayer nowadays? I just need Jesus to, like, run over my heart a couple times and spray some of that stuff out and kill off, like, the weeds. Man, I'm mad at this guy, and it's choking me out spiritually. I got this bill to pay, and it's choking me out spiritually. I got this I need to enjoy, or I won't be happy. I got to save up enough to go on vacation to relax from all the work I did to go on vacation. I got to... <laughs> I got to do everything and be perfect and walk on water and do all of this other stuff. And in the end, like, it just kills us spiritually. Um, actually, I have a quote from Charles Swindoll, and it's kind of a hard quote, so um, I'm not apologizing. Actually, I'm not sorry. But it's one that I read it this morning, and I was like, man, that is harsh. Um, busyness rapes relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deep friendship. It feeds the ego but starves the inner man. It fills the calendar but fractures the family. It cultivates a program that plows under priorities. Many a church boasts about its active programming, something for every night of the week for everyone. What a shame. With good intentions, the local assembly can create the very atmosphere it was designed to curb. Um, we live amongst thorn bushes, right? We live amongst things that are there to choke out our spiritual health, to choke out our relationship with our wives, our husbands, our kids, our neighbors, everything. And Jesus, ultimately, because that's the point of the story we're going through, right? Um, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about all this other stuff, but you're trading the best part of the meal. You're throwing the prime rib away so you can chew on the gristle. 
Is there a gristle in prime rib? Okay. <laughs> I knew talking to ranchers. <laughs> um, Jesus, in another spot, is talking to, uh, like right after the miraculous feeding, the, the, the people he had fed. He, like, crosses the lake, and the people come and find him. When they found him, because they were wanted more food, <laughs> when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do uh, to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. Um, these folks are looking for more. They're looking for the fun part. And they find him, and Jesus says, Listen, I'm the important part. As you're sitting here, as you're hearing the word this morning, like resting in Christ, finding Jesus, sitting in his presence, hearing his word, finding peace in the relationship that we have with him, knowing him more. When you experience loss or trial or hurt or pain, going to him and sitting at his feet and saying, this is how I'm struggling, and him answering it and giving you comfort. When you face a situation where your flesh is in the way and you're angry or lustful or or um, sad or whatever. I mean, like the, the, the world crushes you. You sit at his feet, right? And the Holy Spirit comes through and sprays out all those weeds, right? That is the sweet part. That is the frosting at the top um, of the spiritual life. I, I have in my fridge a bag of frosting, a bag of frosting that Anne sent for me. And every time I go in the fridge to get anything, I have a little handful of frosting, right? Um, but I really wish I could just eat it all the time. Um, this is the spiritual life, and this is the ultimate objective of our walk with Jesus, is to reach a point where, like, everything is the frosting, right? We do the work, but the work isn't the work. The work is an extension of, like, deep roots in him. Um, I love my neighbor because Jesus loves me. I love folks who offend against me and wrong me because I have offended against God in such depth and power like and he forgave me and he loved me and so I love them and that is a product of a relationship with Christ um, my challenge for you today and actually I'm going to challenge you with a with a story I was when I worked at the home I had a young gal who was a drug addict I don't remember what her issues were she was really short um, I never mentioned it uh, <laughs> But she, uh, she said to me, she's like, you know, Eric, it's really weird. I've been trying to follow Jesus. I've been reading the Bible. I've been doing all this other stuff. But I find the only time I can pray is when I'm in the bathroom or in the shower. And then I can talk to God at no, no end. By the way, anyone else? Because I do that sometimes, right? And it's like, man, the only time I talk to God is when I'm, and now that I have kids, it doesn't even work. Uh. And I, I responded to her. I said, look, you know, it's because the time you give to God is the time that has no value. You're so busy being busy, working on your drug treatment, working on getting home, doing school, doing everything else that's required of you, that the only time you sit at the feet of Jesus is, like, it's, it's the scraps you're ready to throw away. Just throw them to Jesus. But you're cheating yourself in that process. Because the best part, and actually the point of faith in Christ and being saved is resting in him. 
It's sitting at his feet, hearing the word. It's worshiping. And I struggle, man. You guys probably have seen me. I'm sure that, like, I struggle with sitting still on Sunday mornings because i got a million things to do, right? I struggle with taking days off. I, I, I have to turn my phone off because I want to fix other people's problems. I want to save people. I want to be Jesus in this community, right? But in reality, I'm just as representative, and I need to rest. If we don't rest in Christ, if we don't take our breaks in him, if we don't spend time talking to him, it kills us. There's death, spiritual death. Um, so my challenge for you is to ask yourself, what time does Jesus get? Or actually, what times do I allow myself to get Jesus? Is it another chore? I'm not trying to give you another thing on your list of things to do because you're too doggone busy now. I'm not doing that. I'm telling you, take things off your list. Golly, I can't believe I said that out loud. Um, <laughs> take things off your list. Busy is not holy. Right? Busy is not spiritual. Work is good for you, but work is, is fruit of time spent with Jesus. You will not earn your way to heaven, and you will not earn the neighbor's way into heaven. Your busyness will not make you happy. The other danger, by the way, and some of y'all may do this. I do it. I used to do it, actually. I've gotten much better in the last decade. I used to stay so busy that I didn't have to listen to myself think because there were things that crept in. Anybody else have that? If I just stay busy, I don't have to think about this, or I don't have to worry about this, or I don't have to feel this, or I don't have to... If you're in that spot, like resting at the feet of Jesus is the only place to be. It is the only place to be because he takes that burden off us and he salves us and he heals our souls. My challenge for you this week, my challenge for you in this life, because this is the core of the Christian life, is to rest in Christ, is to sit at his feet and fill yourself up with him. Um, is to be people who belong to him, body, soul, heart, mind, spirit. Um, Mary picked work over Jesus. The priest and the the uh, Levite, they picked spiritual propriety over loving their neighbor. My question for you is, what do you pick over Jesus? Like, where are your thorns and what are you letting grow? And once you figure it out, pull that mess out. Spray it down, kill it. Because being right with Jesus will fix everything. Let's pray and, and I'll let you all go. Heavenly Father, I come to you uh, as a man who's kind of hypocritical for saying all this stuff. Um, I come to you as a man who loves to work um, to the point that I hate it some days. I pray that you would give us peace, that as a community, as the body of Christ, you would teach us how to rest, that you would teach us to teach our children how to rest and how to glory and rest in you. Father God, we, we don't take Sabbath anymore. Um, and we forget the fact that Sabbath wasn't a law, it was a gift. Help us to become people who rest in you, who find our peace at the feet of Jesus, who fill up with, with the Holy Spirit, who fill up with the fellowship of other believers, who fill up with, with the frosting of life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Get on out of here and enjoy yourselves. Spend some